Sweet. Welcome to the first Sunday in autumn, apparently. I, I agree with PJ. I think that, you know, the, the weather's getting so hot in like March and April that, you know, May could just be the exclusive autumn month in, in Australia. The, um, the autumn leaves are just at, at ripe, crushing sort of um, weather right now. Unless it's wet, you get these stamped the autumn leaves and the sunset. I don't know if you see the sunset. It's like a reasonable time, like 6 p.m. It's like sunset, sunset, and then dark. And, and the passage today has... Kelly actually read that really well when um, it says, Judas had taken the bread, he went out. And it was night. And it's like it's dark straight away. John's playing with light and dark through his gospel and, and he really does that today in a dark scene. Um, I want to call this sermon Reclining Faith. I want to meditate on the picture um, of the beloved disciple. He, he reclines on Jesus' chest. And I believe the posture of reclining faith is one that we should embrace as disciples of Jesus in the midst of betrayal, in the midst of darkness, in crisis, in pain, even um, in, in what's often called declining faith. As, as numbers decline, we're invited to recline on Jesus. And so reclining, if you think of reclining, it's, it's a nice touch on a, on a one-person sofa, right? Or on a, a fancy office chair, um, but where reclining is annoying is in the economy seats, which I've only ever sat in the economy seats, um, on an airplane. You've got like your, your screen there or maybe you're eating your food, drinking your, your coffee and then someone just reclines all the way back and it, it knocks your drink um, or stuffs up your, your contrast with the screen. And my worst flying experience ever was, was not actually about a reclining um, seat. It was about two reclining girls. Um, Young girls, two Ukrainian girls. I was I was 21 or 22, and y- Ukraine, the country Ukraine, had had a lot of um, planes that had been shot at, like in the air. And so Air Ukraine was like really cheap because no one wanted to fly Air Ukraine. But I was a 21 year old, and I'd I'd been on on a Bible study tour in Greece, and I dreamt of going to New York, so I got an Air Ukraine flight from, from Greece to America. And, and the whole way there, um, I was sitting next to this mum, and she had two daughters, and they'd just take turns at just sleeping on her lap. And their heads would sort of nudge me on the thigh, and then they had this like long Ukrainian hair that just went all over me, like for the whole flight. It was disgusting. I think, I think the picture of, of a child reclining on their parent is, is helpful in thinking about faith. And, and it's in some ways similar to the picture that John gives us of the beloved disciple reclining on Jesus. You know that classic shot? You might have seen Vu and Vanessa came last week, um, baby Lillian resting on them, or you've seen that, that classic shot of the the ba- young baby resting on the dad's chest, a, a child um, rests, reclines on, on their parent, sleeping at ease, at rest. And, and we too can, can recline on Jesus. So we're in John 13. It's the Last Supper. It's the night before Jesus dies, actually. A few weeks ago, um, we started John 13 with the, the washing of the feet. Do you remember that? Some of you are still sort of um, 
thinking if you should have gone for it, you know, one, one day we'll, we'll wash one another's feet or something different. We're going to have a go. But, but Jesus um, starts the Last Supper washing his disciples' feet. And he says, follow this example, wash one another's feet. Um, at the start of chapter 13, we see that the devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. And now Judas does. This is the moment of Jesus' betrayal. It's a dark scene. Jesus is troubled again. We've seen this a few times now that Jesus is troubled. He's very human. Darkness is coming. And on this dark night, we get a picture of how three of his disciples related to Jesus. We, we see Peter, we see Judas, and we see John, the beloved disciple. So Peter, first of all, I'm going to work backwards. So Peter, we sort of see um, from, from verse 31 to 38, if you like. Peter says he will die for Jesus, but it turns out he'll deny Jesus. The betrayer leaves and Jesus begins teaching the, the remaining 11. This is his last sermon. It's on discipleship. It's often called the, the final discourse. And what he's doing is he's teaching them about discipleship for when he goes away, for when he leaves them. And um, he said to the crowds a couple chapters ago, uh, I'm going to leave you soon and you can't go where I'm going. And now he says to his disciples, I'm going to leave you soon and you can't go where I'm going. He's going to leave them. He's going to go back to the Father. He's going to go to the cross and then he's going to go to the Father. And, and he's particularly saying here, when you look at the whole of chapters 13 to 17, he's referring to that he's going away to the Father. He's going to send them the Holy Spirit. A lot of um, chapters 14 to 17 will be about that. But before he sends the Spirit, Jesus gives them the command, love one another as I have loved you. Don't just serve like Jesus washing feet. Have the heart of Jesus while you do it. Love one another as Jesus loved you. We spent a lot of our, of our time last week actually looking at, at those two verses, 34 and 35. So we'll, we'll keep moving. Uh, if you weren't here, we're, we're going to start the podcast in the next week or so, so you can um, you know, get them on iTunes as well as on Google Drive um, if you want to listen back. But love one another as I have loved you, Jesus says. We need to hear that on repeat, that we're to love one another, we're to love other Christians, we're to serve with the love and love with the love of Jesus. Like there's no way we can do that. There's no way we can love like Jesus unless the Spirit comes and fills us with Jesus himself. But Peter, Peter thinks he can do this on his own. Peter says, Jesus, there's no way I'm, I'm not going where you're going. I'm going to follow you to death, Jesus. I'll even die for you. And Jesus says, Peter, you won't die for me. You'll deny me. Eventually, Peter will go where Jesus is going. It says that. It says, eventually you will get to be with the Father. And in fact, Peter will actually one day go to the cross as well. Peter one day will die for Jesus, church history tells us. And he died on a cross hanging upside down because he'd become so humble that he refused to die in the same way his Saviour did. So he was crucified upside down. But for now, Peter is getting ahead of himself. Peter's overconfident in his own ability to follow Jesus. John Calvin, that's actually a picture from the uh, prayer course that I was going to mention, but I didn't. 
John Calvin, he said in, on this passage that Peter humanly attributes too much to his own strength. Let us learn to distrust our own strength. So that's Peter. Judas is, if we're working backwards in this passage, Judas is the second disciple we see. And it said, as I mentioned in verse 2 of chapter 13, that Judas was already prompted by the devil to betray Jesus. So Judas is not an obvious traitor in this scene, as we might think. If you look at the paintings of the Last Supper, Judas has the money bag in his hands and he's sort of, you know, people were racist back then just like they are now. He's a bit darker than the other disciples and and they're like, you know, Judas looks like he's the traitor. But in our scene here, it's sort of unsuspecting. Like the disciples don't know who the traitor is. He's supposedly a friend of Jesus. They actually say, that they think the interaction Jesus has with Judas is because he's like the treasurer. He has the money. And they're like, oh, he must be going to like give money to the poor. Because that's what we do, right? As disciples, we give money to the poor. Jesus washed Judas's feet. Jesus gives Judas bread dips it in, in wine. That's traditionally a sign of friendship until now that it's a sign of betrayal. Yet Judas has been taken over by the devil. It says Satan entered into him. The Satan means accuser. We say the Satan because the word Satan isn't really a proper name. It's, it's just accuser. The accuser entered into Judas. The, the devil is the father of lies and Judas has bought the lies. He's believed the accusations. All the sort of stuff the crowds were saying, all the, the suspicions and cynicism about Jesus, Judas has bought the lies. He's followed the Satan. He's made a deal with the devil and now is a friend of darkness. And so Judas takes the bread, he leaves and it was night. Darkness falls. This is a story of light and dark. Dark and light. Darkness reigns at times. The death of Jesus is called the hour of darkness. But as John 1 verse 5 says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus' death defeats the devil Jesus' death drives out the prince of this world. Jesus is Lord over the devil and he's the Lord over darkness. He has all dominion. And so notice verse 27. Satan entered into Judas, but it's Jesus who tells Judas what to do. Jesus is still Lord. He has all dominion. He's he's the boss over the darkness and the devil. Darkness has not overcome the light. And so Jesus says, what you're about to do, do quickly. So we we don't need to be afraid of the devil, but we do need to be alert. We need to keep watch because he's a deceiver. We need to know truth because he's a liar. We need to stay close to the light because he's the prince of darkness. So that's Judas and Peter. No wonder Jesus was deeply troubled, right? He's got friends like Judas and Peter. 
Disciples who trust themselves like Peter will fall because the power of the self is weak. Disciples who follow darkness will fall because the power of the devil is strong. But Jesus is stronger. Grace runs deeper. And so on dark nights, in times of crisis, anguish, pain, betrayal, in fact at all times, we must embrace the posture of reclining faith, to lean back on Jesus. This is the beloved disciple, what he demonstrates and what I want to spend most of our time on. So the beloved disciple, we we meet him here actually. We're going to um, hear about the beloved disciple about another six or seven times in the rest of the Gospel of John. And this unnamed beloved disciple, we believe, is the writer of the Gospel, John. And so the beloved disciple is... um, is reclining. They're all reclining, in fact. At Passover time, what you would do is you would recline at the table because um, you're free, right? Passover is the celebration of the freedom from slavery in Egypt. And free people recline. Slaves would sit up at the table or slaves might stand up at the table, but free people recline. They sit back. Tell your mum next time she says you can't eat on the couch. Mum, free people recline. So what they'd do is they'd recline, they'd, they'd have their feet back. It'd be on like a, a capital U-shaped table. And they'd, they'd kick back, feet up, lean on their left elbow, and they'd eat with their, their right hand. And the beloved disciple is sitting at the place of honour on Jesus' right. And so, so Jesus leaning on his left elbow, eating with his right hand, which means the beloved disciple John on his right has easy access to Jesus. This is his open hand, this is his open side. He can lean right over and lean on Jesus in this moment, find out what's going on, lean into his chest. I want to nerd out for, for a bit. I want to nerd out on, on this section. Um, who's watched this Star Wars Episode Nine trailer? It looks good. Yesterday was May the 4th. May the 4th be with you. Um, so that's Star Wars nerd. I'm not a huge Star Wars nerd, but I like Star Wars. But I love Bible translation comparisons. That is a, that's a passion of mine. And so the NIV, the NIV gives us this section and it says, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified. Very truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. And then one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, in other translations it says, who was on his right, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple. So Peter, the friend, motions, says, hey, Ask him which one he means. Like He must be so close to Jesus that he can hear Jesus whisper when no one else can. And so leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, Is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish? And then Jesus gets the piece of bread, dips it in the dish and gives it to Judas. It's like pretty cryptic and then he just goes and does it. 
But that's because the person who could hear him say that is the writer of this gospel. Interesting that that all the other gospels um, give us the Last Supper and we, we use that as our liturgy for communion. The Last Supper looks very different in the Gospel of John. So Bible translations... This is from the um, Bible Gateway website and it's basically telling us that um, not all Bible translations are the same. Some are better than others. But also we can use different Bible translations for different purposes because some translate the original languages um, more word for word. So they see this Greek word or this Hebrew word, they go, what's that word? Translate it. Other translations go more thought for thought going, let's read the whole section or the whole sentence in Greek. What are they saying? And let's paraphrase it into English or let's translate it thought for thought. So if we look at this same passage in a more wooden translation, a more word-for-word translation, this is the NET. It says, One of his disciples, the one Jesus loved, was at the table to the right of Jesus in a place of honour. So Simon Peter gestured to this disciple to ask Jesus who it was he was referring to. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved leaned back against Jesus' chest and asked him, Lord, who is it? Leaned back against Jesus' chest, a lot of the the more wooden, the more word-for-word translations use. If you go real old school, like New King James, it says leaned back against his bosom. Who uses words like bosom these days? Not many of us. Good. Um, No, you can if you want. Cool word. Old school. It's a great word. What's interesting though is the disciple whom Jesus loved leaned back against Jesus' chest, against his bosom, his heart. And if we go back to the prologue of John and do some translational work. In the prologue it says, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. That's the NIV. But you use some other translations and you begin to see that no one's ever seen God. It's the God, the only Son who is close to the Father's heart who's made him known. In fact, Take the the new off the RSV and make it just the RSV and we've got bosom there. No one has ever seen God, the only Son who is in the bosom of the Father. He has made him known. So John leans back against Jesus' chest and Jesus is at the chest, the bosom of the Father. As the Son is positioned at the heart of the Father, and reveals him. So the beloved disciple leans back on Jesus' chest and from that position can reveal him. He can love like Jesus. He can witness to Jesus. He can reveal Jesus. He can write this gospel of Jesus because he's leaning back against Jesus' chest. That's the posture of the the reclining disciple one who is leaning back against Jesus, who can hear his heartbeat, who can feel his blood pressure and who can look out into the world and witness to reveal Jesus from that vantage point. That's reclining faith. 
So you can go the way of Peter, self-reliance, zealous but trusting in your own strength. You can go the way of Judas, God-defiance, partnering with darkness, following the father of lies. Or you can go the way of the beloved disciple, God-dependence. Not self-reliance, not God-defiance, but God-dependence, a posture of, of resting, of reclining, of leaning back into the heart of Jesus. Like a baby on their father's chest. So how do we lean back? How do we recline? It's a, it's a nice idea. It's a, it's a nice picture that um, we get here. But, but how do we recline? Well, we, we rest in him. We have union with God because he achieves it. So we can't, we can't make this happen. God achieves our union with him. But we can rest in his embrace. We can be aware of his presence through reclining. Reclining is what it sounds like. Reclining is relaxing. It's resting. It's Lillian sleeping on Vu's chest. It's the Ukrainian girls sleeping on their mum's lap. We can, we can tap into this sort of space through things like prayer, through worship, through embracing rest or slowing down, entrusting our lives to him, entrusting our lives to his help, to his strength. We can, we can flee from fear because of this. We can say no to the impulse to be in control. We so often have. We want to be in control. We do that all through through just resting in Him, reclining, leaning back on Jesus. And I want to suggest that this isn't just devotional. This isn't just church leaning back. This is all of life, because a person who lives with the posture of leaning on Jesus with reclining faith. The person who lives with this posture will have peace through the day, through the storms. They'll reveal Jesus like through the week uh, as a witness to friends and family and colleagues. The posture of reclining faith can make your relationship with Jesus, can make Jesus more attractive at uni, at work and at school. See, your faith can be attractive by you just leaning back on Jesus. You can be a witness to Jesus by living a life of God dependence. Because reclining on Jesus means that you can be better at being strong and better at being sad. Like, we don't need to be stressed. It's like a badge of honor these days, you know, how are you going? Busy. How are you feeling? Oh, pretty stressed. But we don't need to be stressed. We don't need to fear because we can relax into Jesus. Sometimes stress can be sin. Sometimes stress is a, is a failure to trust the God of the universe and that he's holding the whole world in his hands. Sometimes stress is the product of us feeling like we're holding the whole world in our hands. But often stress isn't sin, it's just situational. It's just the circumstance, things are too much. And things are too much 
in so many ways on, on this dark night. Things are too much so often for us in this dark world. And so whether it's, it's betrayal or, or crisis or pain or, or stress or illness or loneliness, or overwork, whatever you're going through, a posture of reclining faith, leaning back on Jesus, will make you better at being strong and better at being sad. We're better at being strong, right, because we don't have to muster up our own strength. We don't have to be strong in ourselves. It's like when you're at the gym and, and you see someone doing chin-ups and then the, the camera pans down and someone's you know, carrying their feet or they're on that machine that sort of helps you do this, the, um, the chin-ups. Great machine. We're better at being strong when he's our strength, when he's carrying us. We can really persevere. Like, like we can really endure tough stuff like no one else. We can keep going and be strong because our hope and our strength is in Jesus, in the maker of the universe. Our shoulders are so much bigger when they're his shoulders, when they're like his shoulders. And yet we can be really good at being sad too. We can be better at being sad when we lean on Jesus because we don't have to suppress or repress our emotions we don't have to hold back tears or channel pain into something unhealthy. We're free to lament. We're free to express and experience the full array of human emotions. Under God's care and in God's presence. So we can be better at being strong and we can be better at being sad when we depend on Jesus, when we lean back on him. So I just want to invite you to lean back. God has grace for you. If you've been living in self-reliance, God has grace for you. If you've been living in God-defiance and partnering with darkness, God has grace for you. If things are too much, if the night is dark, He has love, power and strength for you. So let's lean back on Jesus' chest. Let's depend on Him. Let's be intimate with him. Let's hear his heartbeat, hear his voice, experience his rest, know his presence and embrace his love. Let's stand up and, and pray. And if the, the musos want to get ready while we pray, we'll, we'll sing. Behold our God. So let me just pray first of all. Maybe you want to close your eyes. I'm just going to leave some space first of all for the Spirit to, to draw us to the heart of Jesus. Father, we know you're there. We know you're here. Help us rely, help us depend, help us lean back, help us rest, help us recline. Lord, 
We're sorry for when we've seen you in your magnificence and thought it might be better to just keep striving, trusting our own strength. Maybe playing with with darkness and things that aren't from you. May we see your open arms. May we see your posture. May we know that we have been made right with you so we could experience union with you. May we lean back in trust and intimacy with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.